some of the signs of depression and fatigue, heavy fatigue, not feeling up for doing anything, counting it as a win if you get up and take a shower, right? Being numb to certain things. And that's not cynicism, but just numb. Watching your life sort of go by and it could be three months, six months that go by and you're sort of like a spectator and not a participant of your own life. And you don't even realize that's gone by. Hey, this is Allison. Welcome to Underwithheld, the podcast by accountants and for accountants, where we talk about our ubiquitous professional and personal struggles. You are not alone. This episode is a conversation I had with Mike Moise. Mike is an accountant based out of Boston, Massachusetts. From childhood and into his college and working years, Mike has had an on-again, off-again relationship with depression. Mike shares experiences of growing up and working in accounting with depression as well as some thoughts on how folks in accounting might approach their own depression and how others might help them. Before we jump into the conversation, a little background on the topic. Per the National Institutes of Health, depression is, quote, a common but serious mood disorder. It causes severe symptoms that affect how you feel, think, and handle daily activities such as sleeping, eating, or working. To be diagnosed with depression, the symptoms must be present for at least two weeks, end quote. NIH's website lists 12 signs of depression. I will go through each one in the event that something resonates with you. Certainly, the list isn't all-inclusive, nor must someone present with all symptoms to be considered depressed. And of course, any of these symptoms could be indicators of some other underlying issue that may or may not be related to depression. In short, please seek medical care if you think you may have depression. Here we go. Number one, a persistent feeling of sadness, anxiety, or just feeling empty. Number two, hopelessness pessimism. Number three, being irritable. Number four, not being interested in hobbies or activities. Number five, decreased energy levels, being tired. Number six, moving and talking slowly. Number seven, feeling restless or having trouble sitting still. Number eight, difficulty concentrating, remembering, or making decisions. Number nine, difficulty sleeping early morning awakening or oversleeping. Number 10, appetite and or weight changes. Number 11, thoughts of death or suicide or suicide attempts. Number 12, aches or pains, headaches, cramps, or digestive problems without a clear physical cause and or that do not ease even with treatment. NIH reports that approximately 8% of U.S. adults experienced at least one major depressive episode in 2020. It therefore seems reasonable to me that there are quite a few accountants who have depression. My research on this was a mixed bag. While I found indicators through various articles that depression is possibly a systemic issue in the accounting industry, I wasn't able to locate any industry-wide resources for help. If you have resources specifically where these two topics meet, please reach out to me with those at underwithheld.com. I'll add them to the resources already listed in the show notes. In case it needs to be said, I know my guests are therapists. We are not offering therapy. We may say things that just don't resonate with you, and if so, that's totally cool. There's nothing prescriptive here, just colleagues talking about an issue we think is important, and we hope talking about it will help someone else. If something sounds helpful to you here, cool. If not, just ignore it. Welcome to the show. Hey, welcome to the show. Hey, hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. 
Yeah, absolutely. How's it been going? Going pretty well. I've took a lot of time off actually recently. So that's good. How about yourself? <laughs> Tired. I'm ready nice. for a little break myself. So I'm going up to the mountains for a few days and I'm looking forward to that. Oh, so you haven't taken a break yet? This Not summer. just yet. My out of office is kind of a lie. I usually put on longer than I'm actually <laughs> gone. So I can refrain from answering client emails for just a few days, get caught up on a few things. Good. So I guess the key question, right, is you're going to be out of office, but are you, are you going to be on Twitter? I don't know. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> That's like the ultimate shutdown if, you, if you're going to be office or LinkedIn or whatever you use. Yeah, I think if you're gone for more than a week, you have to put on an out of office on Twitter. Yeah, right. Check it out. <laughs> I, in introducing myself a lot nowadays, I actually say that I am a poet and a child raised in an embassy. Um, Wait, so say that last part, a child what? I'm a poet and a child raised in an embassy. So I'll explain in a bit, but you know, yeah, yeah. for the listeners, right? My name is Mike Moyes. I'm a CPA by training, currently a consultant. And the reason I say that is, A, I actually have done a ton of poetry. So that's kind of a metaphor for what I'm going to be describing. But poets really are creative people. They have huge imaginations and they have the power to really create uh, what doesn't exist through just their words. Right. So I've, that's actually been something that's marked my career, my life in general. We'll get into some of that a little bit. And actually, creative people are more prone to what I like to call melancholy. So if you actually study a lot of great musicians, a lot of great artists or whatever, like they feel a little more deeply sometimes than just the regular population. So that poet metaphor has always been appropriate for me, at least. And then the embassy thing, that's just if you think about an embassy, right? An embassy is literally it's a, a it's a foreign country that's established on domestic soil. And my parents are from Haiti, mm -hmm. so they were born and raised in, in Haiti, right? I was born here, but. Like a lot of immigrants, I always felt like I had to navigate the like these dual identities. So I would be at home and in my house, the embassy, right? My home would have the Haitian customs, the Haitian language, Haitian Creole, and just the culture in general. So I would have to like, I'd live by that, right? But when I stepped foot outside of the house and I went to school or, you know, wherever else, it was the American culture that I had to sort of navigate oh, and yeah. navigate for yeah. the first time, right? So. My joke is that, you know, my home was like an embassy that I was raised in. But once I stepped foot outside of that embassy, it was the United States of America. And I had to learn how to both be Haitian American or a child of immigrants and be a young man growing up in the Boston area. So that's the area that I'm from. Yeah, so that's, that's, that's kind of like my intro to people just in general, because it's true. It's just, it's marked who I am. How did you get into accounting? Good question. So we were talking about this before, but essentially <laughs> I always knew, always, actually I always knew when, since I was a kid that I wanted to be in business, right? That was, people would always ask me, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? I wanted to be a businessman, not knowing what that meant or the different avenues. But when I got to college, I actually studied economics. So I wasn't actually going down the accounting path. And I think maybe I, you know, maybe I'm risk averse, who knows. But during the financial crisis, right, I saw people lose their jobs. And when I say financial crisis, I'm talking about the 07 to like 09 crisis. People were losing their jobs, their homes. I was working in sales at the time, actually. Saw a lot of sales folks that were making six figures just lose that overnight because of oh, yeah. just a shift, shift in demand, right? And then if anybody was aware or, you know, alert enough during that time, it was actually really scary. 
right? I just happened to be studying economics during that crisis. So I was just hyper aware of what was going on. So I had always known about the CPA profession, not to the extent that I obviously do now, but I'd always known about it. And I always said in my mind, I want to choose something that would cause me to be confident if this ever happens again. All right. So if another crisis comes around and a company says, hey, Mike, we're going to do some cuts, we're going to have to let you go. I don't want that to send fear in my heart. Like I actually want control over my life. So that's actually why I chose the accounting slash CPA route to begin with. So I studied economics, but I went and got my master's in accounting. I attended the University of Massachusetts Amherst. So that's in the New England area. And I went the typical big four route for uh, students in that program. And I started off working at Ernst & Young. So I started working in public accounting, doing auditing for a while. And that was my journey into accounting. I didn't know much about it. I just knew it was something that I wanted to do. And I think I just learned more about the industry as my career went along. So Mike, you are here with us today to talk about depression. Yep. I was doing a little bit of research in advance mm -hmm. of our conversation. Of course, my research tool is Google. Yep. <laughs> Google accounting and depression. And I was curious as to what I would get. They were stories from other accountants about wow. their struggle with depression in the industry. I didn't wow. see a lot yeah. uh, itself about, hey, we, you know, we think that depression or other concerns are systemic in the accounting industry. And here's, here's what we're doing about it, or here's what we would like to do about it, or here's what we think you should do about it. It was honestly kind of a little sad. I even found a website called thedepressedaccountant.com. Wow. I'm, I'm going to look that up. Yeah, yeah. The Depressed Accountant looks like it was a blog started in 2020, 2021, somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. And somebody just started journaling about what it was like to be going through depression and to also be in the accounting industry. All of that to say, while I did find some information out there, it felt like, I guess I'll summarize it this way. It felt like enough that this seems like it's a systemic issue. And yet there doesn't seem to be anything industry-wide that is available to help. So I just want to say that, and I'd like to hear, of course, from you, your story yeah. with depression, with what it's like in the industry going through this. Yeah, no, Allison, I, first of all, I appreciate you Googling that. I'd never even thought to do that. I've definitely Googled a ton of, I guess I've done a ton of self-teaching on depression, and I'll get into that in a bit, but I never thought to actually combine depression and accounting together and research an issue with that. So I'm actually glad that you're bringing it up because even for myself, I never thought to bring the two together. So I'll take a step back and just when I think about depression, right, it's been a journey for me just to understand what depression was to, just to begin with. And in my life, depression has been a series of like distinct, tangible chapters. <laughs> They've been chapters. So I've known, like I have chapters in my life where I know, okay, this was like that dark period, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, and then I'll come, I'll yeah. come out of that and then it'll be, you know, let's say five years will go by, six years, go, then it'll be something else. And every time that's happened, I've learned. So I'll, I'll start with the first, my first known instance, but I'll actually go back. And I think this is important just to actually like reflect on yourself in general. So I'll go back to when I was a kid and I don't even know why this was. It might've been just the whole, the immigrant thing, like I told you, I had some great parents that cared about me, but there were some struggles with just growing up, A, being black, but then not really 
fitting within with my black peers and actually fitting in more with immigrant peers, right? Sure, because sure. I was Haitian, but then B, I'm doing everything for the first time. Like I, you know, things that kids knew by second nature were just different for me. Like I didn't have a Google, so I would research, for example, how to even talk on the phone. Yeah, to sure. Like my peers, right? I would write scripts before I wrote on phones because I just didn't even know how that how to kind of navigate that. And it, it's just because I wasn't used to the American culture as much as I was the Asian culture. So growing up, I used to actually pull my hair out a lot. Oh, good. So like I would, I didn't know this, but I was pulling my hair out and then I would have like patches in my eyebrows or like on my, you know, near my forehead where my hairline is. And my parents didn't know what it was. I didn't tell them I was pulling it out. They thought something was wrong with me. And something was, I just didn't know what it was. Fast forward to today, I sort of Google the symptoms and obviously I'm not diagnosing myself. I'm an accountant, not a doctor, but those symptoms are trichotillic, mm. right? And it's a disorder caused by anxiety, stress, depression, et cetera. And anything can trigger it, but that pulling out of your hair, it's an actual condition, right? So I've had the ingredients for what I think is depression for a while. What happened later on in life was in college, for various number of reasons that I, I had to actually unpack and sit and journal and go to therapy before, I had a bout of depression that was so bad that I failed three semesters in a row. I got all Fs. I'm a nerd. I was always a great student or a decent student, right? And I had to actually sit and think, Mike, if you, you're a decent student, if you actually failed three semesters in a row, something's wrong. If you can't open up a book and actually read the book and have some takeaways and be able to take a test because you can't even remember what you read, like something is wrong. And I'm, I'm barely 20 at this time, but I, I knew something was going on. I, was, I remember vividly actually being in my dorm and I didn't want to see the sunlight, so I would have the shades down all day. And the only time I would leave my dorm was because my stomach could no longer take the fact that I was hungry. So I was kind of forced to leave just to go get a bite to eat, come back and then stay in the dark again. Right. So, and funny enough, I failed intro to accounting three times. Oh gosh. <laughs> right. So talk about persistence. Bad. Wow. Yeah. Right. So I failed intro to accounting three times. I failed three semesters in a row and Allison, I was so scared to go back for that fourth semester because I knew if I went back, I would fail out. Of, I'd get kicked out of school. That was my last semester. I had a 1.96 GPA. I remember that vividly. And that's what I told the school. That's what I told my parents and my friends and my family. I'm afraid to go back because my mind is not working. Mm -hmm. The one thing that you're relying on, you can't even trust it to go back to school and actually pull a C, let alone an A, right? So that was a time period and I took that time off. So like I, I left school, people thought I was going to be a dropout. I, I didn't know where this was going to go because typically when you do drop out, it's harder to get back. But yeah, I took some time off, really paused. I, I pumped the brakes on like life and, you know, long, fast, long story short, I ended up coming back and doing really well. And I thought that depression was behind me, that that was just one. And you fast forward maybe. So that was around like 20, let's say 2008 ish, mm -hmm. seven, eight around that time. I think, yeah, 2007, 2008, just really, you know, dealing with that depression. But then I ended up coming back. You fast forward to maybe 2015. I had family members that uh, we had all gone through like a large dispute and, and we lost some relationships because of that. And I lost some like key relationships in my life as well. And that caused a, that triggered, you know, some grief in me. And that was yeah. another bout of depression. Gosh. So this is, now I'm working yeah. in accounting and 
that was the first time I contemplated suicide. And that's when I knew, okay, like I, th I thought this was behind me, right? Like I thought yeah, I had, yeah. you, know, you know, gotten over things. And so that's when I went back and I went back to therapy as well. And this entire time, I'm not doing a good job of consistent maintenance or hygiene for my mental health. I'm just thinking that, hey, I got through about, I'm okay. But then four or five years later or sometime later, an episode will happen where I'll just go back into this dark place. Now, thankfully, by then I had sort of known what was going on because in college, when I'd gone through that, I'd done a lot of just my own research, just reading up on depression because I didn't know anything about it. I didn't, yeah. I thought yeah. I was just maybe tired or, you know, God forbid, like maybe just lazy or over life. But I learned that, hey, like this is actually something that happens to people and here are the symptoms and, you know, this is not unusual. So I kind of knew, but it still happened, right? The last time this happened was around 2018, 19 ish, right? So fast forward from 2015, 16 to now like 2018, 2019. Okay. Uh, and you, what I'm noticing is the time periods between when these chapters show up shrinks. So my first time was around like, let's say 07, 08, then seven years. And now it's like 2015 ish, right? 2014, 2015 ish around that time. But then only a few years between that and you're looking at, you know, 20, let's say end of 2017 to 2019. I'm being, you know, liberal with my dates, but that's around the time range. And that was actually, that was a culmination of a lot of things. A, I'd lost time from school. So I felt like I spent my entire career trying to catch up. Right. So I, I felt yeah. like, yeah. I felt like I did a version of me a disservice because I entered into the accounting industry a little bit later. You know, I, I hadn't progressed to where I wanted to be. I should have been, a, you know, pick a level, pick a title, pick a, a compensation band or whatever. Like I should have been at that place and I wasn't. So what I found is to validate myself. And I know this now, I didn't know what was going on, but I know this now to validate myself where I was doing a lot of things. I started my own firm. That was one thing I was working overtime and just trying to just assimilate as much information, get as much experiences as possible to be the super CPA, I, you know, <laughs> super I don't know CPA. what, yeah. So I just wanted <laughs> to, I wanted to, super exactly, <laughs> exactly. So I yeah. just wanted to, I wanted to be the best that I could be, but in a very unhealthy way. Right. Mm -hmm. And where it came all crashing down was I actually tore my Achilles playing basketball in 2019. You know, the foundation was cracking before that, but when I tore my Achilles, I could not keep up with anything. Right. I, I just couldn't. And to be honest, I've actually been battling my way out of that for a while. Cause you know, you're tear your Achilles, you have surgery. You're just not the same. You need to rest. And I've never done that because I think there's always been this thing in me where I believe every action that I take or everything that I accomplish is sort of validating or making up for the mistakes that I made or the person that I wasn't when I was maybe younger or in school, COVID wasn't helpful because I was sure, sort of isolated. Sure. I'm actually going to go check out that website, the depressed accountant, because around that time as well, I was dealing with that depression. I isolated myself. One of my friends was so worried that she ended up actually calling the police to come check in on me. Some of the signs of the depression are fatigue, heavy fatigue, not feeling up for doing anything, counting it as a win if you get up and take a shower, right? Being numb to certain things. And that's not cynicism, but just numb watching your life sort of go by and it could be three months, six months that go by and you're sort of like a spectator and not a participant of your own life. And you don't even realize that's gone by. You miss a lot of things. 
So those are sort of the three chapters when I think about depression. Those are three chapters in my life, all caused by different things. But I think the underlying root for me, this is me saying this, the underlying root has just been a lack of self-worth and then also a lack of self-care. So this last time with COVID, I think a lot of us, and I've seen this on Twitter or blogs or whatever, a lot of people in our profession, we just went into a black hole. And I think we're now starting to come out of that. Yeah, yeah. Trying to detangle from unhealthy ways of thinking and patterns and behaviors that came with the pandemic and all the regulations, just the fast moving pace of things. How would you say, Mike, that depression impacts you as an accountant? Well, I definitely say I missed out on opportunities. I said to myself, Mike, you, this is actually costing you. Not taking care of yourself on the front end costs you, right? Like you can finish mm -hmm. the project or you can, you can write a killer memo or d do whatever, but at, on the back end, you will pay for it. And it actually costs you and makes you miss out on certain opportunities. And what do I mean by that, right? I think if I'm not depressed, for example, I have more mental dexterity or vitality to actually, let's say, propose or think through a job better and propose better. I'll give you one, one great example. Yeah. I was so, I was so tired for this one client that I was doing work on. And when I say tired, mentally tired, mm -hmm. that I didn't, I didn't have the time to actually stop and think about the scope of the work that they were asking us to do. So this was, this was an audit readiness type of client. They weren't really doing their books and they were getting ready to get audited by a big accounting firm. And I, I knew because I'd worked in the industry, I'd seen this playbook before I knew that this was going to be more than what we could handle. So it was myself and another more junior staff, but I didn't have the time to actually sit, analyze and inspect the proposal because I was kind of just going with things. And when you're tired, sometimes you're open for, you're just open. You don't have the ability to actually push back and, and defend a position or think, right? So mm -hmm. what ended up happening mm -hmm. is that because I didn't actually have the energy for that, this whole project ended up becoming what I knew it was going to become, which was a giant mess and causing me more hours anyway. So I ended up working seven days a week for X amount of weeks straight, which oh, actually gosh. didn't help. No, yeah, right. Just help. That just exacerbates the problem. Yeah. So that happened and not having the energy to speak to folks caused me to not be able to network as much as I usually do. And I don't even like using the word network, but just relationships, both professionally and personally. Right. I, I either don't develop the ones that I should or the ones that I do have suffer a ton, especially with people that don't understand what it is that you're going through. Right. So got a lot of people that think that I either abandoned them or I had an issue with them, or I just, you know, I'm disinterested in the relationship, the relationships suffer. And I think relationships for me are one of the things that matter the most. Sounds like there's heavy costs. Yeah. Heavy, heavy costs this time around. Definitely. It's almost like whenever this happens, I go into a cave. I come out and the world has changed. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that like, it's, that's actually how it, what it feels like. It's, it feels like I'm frozen in time. And then once I kind of get out of that, now I'm catching up with what's going on. And so you, you lose time, right? Which is the va most valuable resource. Even some of the technology and tools that people are using, I missed out on that because I haven't been around really for a number of years. So in my mind, I'm still thinking of Zoom as being a revolutionary technology that no one knows about. <laughs> but in reality, Zoom was 
adopted by the entire world almost because of the pandemic. But I've been using Zoom since like 2016, 2017. You see what I'm saying? Yep. I was a champion and a cheerleader of Zoom. I loved it. You know, I was using it for all my clients because I was doing the whole virtual thing. So my mind is still back then before Zoom became what it is now, right? Or any of these other tools that have either popped up or have been adopted widely by a lot of firms in our industry. Mike, do you have any thoughts about how employers who have staff who may have depression might be able to help them? Good question. Uh, I don't. So I, the reason I don't immediately is because I wasn't ready for what you told me about that depressed accountant website, right? I'd never thought to look up or think of accountants and depression. Sure. And to be honest, in my mind, I don't think you think of accountants as being or allowed to be depressed. Are you allowed to be depressed if you're an accountant? Is that even a thing, right? You don't think of that. Talk about that. Keep going with that. I'm a Googler at heart. Like I Google everything, right? But why did I never Google depression and accounting? Why did I never go down that route? Even though I've been Googling my condition or researching my condition for 12 years now. Um, and when you think, when I think of an accountant, at least the perception of accountant is you're a numbers person, you're business oriented, there's logic to it, right? There are rules and regulations that you follow, right? There's no, it's almost emotionless where it's like, Hey, mm -hmm. that deduction is that deduction. There's no emotion behind it. Or that position that I'm taking for the financial statements, it is what it is. When I argue or debate with the auditors, we're not debating based on how I feel about something, but based on what the guidance says, right? So there's no, there's no feeling in this industry. And I'm obviously I'm kind of exaggerating, but there's no feeling it's, it has nothing to do with feeling. So <laughs> I would not associate accountants with having, and I'm, I am one, right. But I wouldn't associate our industry with having a feelings type of issue. And that's partly why I think for me, this, I probably would have never bring this up in the workplace or with colleagues, cause it's not even something I've even heard talk about, you know? So I think talking about it might be the first thing, like what you're doing right now is probably honestly the first thing to do because we don't deal in the realm of emo, which is also probably why as a separate note, accountants, I think, find it difficult to move into other, maybe more management positions because we're taught to be technical early on, but some of the more managerial soft skills, I think a lot of accountants probably struggle to transition to that. But yeah, I think having the conversation first is important because I've never really had the conversation about mental health in any firm, never at EY. Maybe they do at the big four firms now. I don't know because I haven't been there in a while, but especially not at my firm, we don't talk about that. So talking about it is, is the first step for sure. I guess so question for you though, like, what do you think? Like, do you, was that ever discussed when you were growing up, so to speak, in the profession or... Like, can you get depressed during busy season or is it just a rite of passage for everyone? Yeah. So I've been in accounting for about 20 years, 10 of those roughly working for others, 10 yeah. of those roughly working for myself. Yeah. I, so the last 10 years, I, I may be like you, Mike, I may be a little bit out of the loop as to what goes on in larger firms that have multiple people, HR departments, all that. Yeah. But my experience before, I think they were still trying to struggle with the upper out mentality. Mm, yeah. That was probably about as quote unquote mental health related as they could get. And I, I think that was just sort of touching on, there are other job paths besides partner. Maybe we can't afford, and we're really seeing this now, 
Maybe we can't mm -hmm. afford to dismiss people from our industry, from public accounting specifically, because they don't want to make partner. And now, of course, mm -hmm. we have a huge staffing problem. And a lot of that was because a lot of good people got to senior, maybe manager and realized, you know, there's no part-time partner here, or I don't yeah. want to work 60 hours a week or 70 for the rest of my life or whatever it is. So I think maybe that was the beginning. So if there is more out there, I actually don't know. What yeah, I'm honestly, I have images of people before they quit, right? At my old firm. I remember one person I had interned when he was like a staff or a senior or something like that. And I know he'd worked a lot on a ton of jobs. That's what they do. They just staff you on jobs. And I remember maybe the week before he quit, I, I actually saw him. I remember his image because he was sitting around the, the table. His back was kind of bent. You notice he'd like gained a ton of weight. He hadn't shaved. He had dark spots under his eyes. He looked broken. Gosh. It, it was almost like he went from being this youthful person that just probably graduated college to a manager that looked like he had been beaten up, broken, and was finished. Now, if someone would look at that in during our time and say, oh, he just worked a lot or, you know, it's just the grind of, of being an accountant. But, you know, one of the triggers and my trigger this last time around for being more prone to de being depressed is that constant work and not treating yourself as a being with a mental and emotional component, right? So you think of that and w would someone say, oh, he's depressed and that's an actual condition that needs to be considered or would someone look at that and say, oh, you just need a break or maybe you need to just go and find another job where you're going to work better hours. Let's promote someone else to do what you're doing, which is work all these crazy projects. You know what I'm saying? I know exactly yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. think of that. Like if, if that's our industry, at least from what I remember, is predicated on that type of lifestyle. If you can't hack it, leave. So the people that I guess do hack it must mask those issues. Like you have to mask. I used to eat Reese's all the time at night during one of my, on one of my jobs just to make me feel better. But even thinking back, that was just a way to cope with what I was feeling. You know, that was a way to cope yeah. with just the slog of it all. Yeah. So this is actually, I'm even, I'm thinking of this on the fly. This is just coming to me. I think this is incredibly important to discuss. And I don't think people want to discuss it if there's money involved you have to bill the name of the game is billing right and, and utilization rates like even if you're the nicest partner or owner of a firm there's always going to be this tension where you have people that you're paying and you want to make sure they're utilized to a certain degree because if you don't build them out you don't make any revenue i think things would change if you could actually on the pnl measure the cost of, <laughs> let's right? measure it exactly right you have to incentivize people to do certain things I think if I'm incentivized as a partner, firm owner, whatever the case is, to to hit certain numbers for my bonuses, then no matter what, someone being sick is going to, it's just going to be a temptation for me to not care about that sickness because you're always going to be looking at that prize, right? And that, that sickness is just going to be something that gets yeah. in the way, right? And you can measure that bonus. You have no way of measuring the cost of, that person being sick or them actually saying, you know what, in six months, I'm going to quit because this person or this environment doesn't care about how I feel. You don't have a way of measuring that or measuring how long it's going to take to replace someone new or pay a recruiter's fee or whatever. I'll actually share how I approach this. Now that I'm on the other side, one of my staff, I could tell on this job, right? I could tell that one of my staff was really just going through it. He was working a lot of hours. We were definitely under staff for this project. 
and he was ready to go to the United Kingdom. He was going because he's part of a rowing crew. And he had told me, like, hey, Mike, I really don't want to have to deal with this client while I'm in the UK. I want to enjoy myself. Yeah. So we were trying to actually get the project closed as fast as possible. Obviously, that didn't happen, right? So I had a choice. <laughs> I had a choice to say, hey, um, let's call him Joe, right? Joe, I know you wanted to not bring your laptop to the UK, but the client's not done with issuing the financials. Can you actually take it and field questions throughout? Because you were working on your tasks. I'm not as familiar with them or I'm not as close. You can answer questions a little bit better or faster. I could have went that route. But then in my mind, I said, hey, when I was in Joe's position, what would I have appreciated from one a project manager on my, yeah. what would I have, you know, what would have mattered to me? And although I didn't want to do it because it, part of me was like, we're all selfish. Part of me wanted to be like, hey, like I want to take my time to relax as well. I said, you know what, Joe, take your trip. Don't worry about anything. And I just, I dealt with the client directly in the, you know, and I got my hands dirty essentially, right? Yeah. And I'm not doing that for reciprocity or anything like that, but I just, I want to hope that I can at least consistently on my projects at least, or anything that I work on, that the people that work with me or report to me, they get to experience a different mindset or set of values than what we typically see in the accounting world at large. So I, I don't know how you do it systemically. I, I think I can try to do it individually with the people that I work with, but I don't got a quick answer on how you do it across the firm or across the industry. Employee side. One, if I'm an employee who has depression, whether it's an ongoing matter or whether it's something maybe like it is with you where it just kind of comes up here and there, is that something that you would advise folks disclose to their employer? Hmm. And two, regardless of your answer there, do you have any thoughts, tools, help, et cetera, for employees in accounting who have depression? Yeah. Wow. That is a tough question. Cause let's be real, right? I'll speak for myself, especially part of me is that I don't actually want to disclose that. I've never wanted to disclose that to any of my employers. And actually in the cases where I have, I feel like it's been used against me. Oh. But that's a one, that's a one-off. I wouldn't say that that's typical. I think people genuinely care about other people, right? They're definitely bad bosses, bad employers or whatever, but yeah, I'd be hesitant because you have to have a great relationship with that employee. It's not the company, it's the people that you're working with, right? You have to have a great relationship with your boss, manager, partner, whatever, to even disclose that because that is a, that's an intimate part of you. We're dealing with, we're talking about my mind here. That's an intimate part of me. So I would, my counsel would be to say, think about your relationship with that employer as an employee. That's what I would say, because there's still a stigma, both in the the and i'm talking two cultures here both in the american culture and even in like our caribbean culture as well like there's still like the kind of like a stigma that you're you're weak you can't hack it so i think people are kind of hesitant to do that so i honestly i would say talk to someone that you do trust in your work environment it, it might not be your direct manager but i would hope you would have that relationship with them it's just tough in terms of tools though for me what i haven't been consistent with but that does help and is extremely helpful is a therapist. And the reason I say that is because even with my family who is extremely caring, they're not therapists, they're not licensed. But secondly, it is really incredibly freeing for me to talk to someone that doesn't know me, that doesn't know my patterns yet. 
and it's almost like a clean slate and you can talk to them and talk to them and just say anything that you probably wouldn't say to someone else. And I think that's incredibly freeing and healthy. I think as human beings, we need people to talk to at the ground level. You just need someone to talk to. And then having someone that is also licensed that knows how to work with people that have depression or more prone to depression, super important. And you'll probably catch this if you Google it, right? If you work out and if you're active, go out for walks, get some sun, extremely helpful. Actually, earlier this year, I spent a lot of time in Florida. I had a family member of mine that was sick. So I spent some time in Florida and this was during periods where I was working seven days a week, which is obviously not good for my mental health, but that's another story. I even noticed me working in Boston was completely different than me working in Florida. When you get sunshine and ah, the weather's different. Yeah. yeah, I felt completely different. One of the days we went to the beach and I watched the sun go up. Being in on that beach just with no electronics and just watching the sun go up in Florida did so much for me. And it reminded me, especially having gone through COVID, staying indoors, cooping myself up, it doesn't need help. So going out, getting some sun for me is important and getting some activity and the therapist has definitely been helpful. And if you have really great friends that you feel like believe in you that aren't oh, rolling their eyes every time something happens, oh, here we go again. I think that helps as well, because if I have a few people in my corner, it helps me get through people that believe in me that believe, hey, like, Mike, you'll get through this, that don't see me as weak because I, you know, I'm more prone to depression than maybe a lot of people show or actually are. So. Those are some things that I kind of think about, but I'll be honest, Allison, like, it's just something I still struggle with. I wish it wasn't so, but I just have to be more mindful, at least from my perspective than other people about working too much, not taking care of myself. And I haven't been consistent with that. Even now I'm going to go back to therapy, but I haven't been consistent with therapy, even though I know something that is actually helpful. The thing with therapy is you don't go once and say, okay, I'm better now. Like it's therapy yeah, is like yeah. a consistent thing, right? You have to be. You have to be consistent and therapy to me is one component of the energy to stay healthy. I remember going to therapy and maybe on the 10th session, cause he would ask me, Hey, how are you feeling? Maybe on the 10th session, I would start to kind of feel like, okay, I'm getting this, I'm doing this, like getting up back up on my feet. But the first to the ninth sessions were still kind of dark, you know, mm -hmm. there's never really been a magic bullet for me where it's like, okay, therapy session done no more depression like that. That's not how it works. But maybe that's too. That's my personality. I'm type A, right? I like to get stay organized, get things done, accomplish things, input, output, right? Like that's not your emotions, your feelings, your soul, even like that does not that's not how it works. Right? We're complicated beings and you can't apply an accounting principle or the tax code to your life, how you feel it just doesn't work like that. This is great too. even have just have us having these conversations, right? I feel seen almost, right? Being understood and feeling seen actually has been incredibly helpful for me just on this journey. So I appreciate conversations like this because I don't, I really don't talk about them that often, let alone, I think this is the first time I've spoken to it. You're the second accountant that I've actually had this conversation with. Mike, is there anything else you'd like to share? What I would say is, and I think this is incredibly important to hear. I can hear this a million times and every time I hear it, it's actually important for those that are in this profession and they feel like they have the symptoms of what would be described as depression. A it's, it's actually 100%. Okay. You don't need to justify, explain, or apologize to people. 
that's one big thing that I've had to kind of just kind of go through. I definitely try my best to communicate now a little bit better to family members or other folks and say, I'm going through a rough time or I got a rough patch or whatever, whatever language you want to use. But for the most part, when I'm going through what I've gone through, if it is a win for me to get up and take a shower, I'm not going to apologize for not being able to make your barbecue, if I were to put it that way. So I want to just tell people like, hey, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to be going through this. You are not weak or less of a practitioner or professional because of it. And in some respects, I think COVID has taught us all this. You can try, but you really can't compartmentalize your health either physically, mentally, right? You can't compartmentalize that with work. For my vocation and the client work that I do to really matter, I have to be okay in terms of my health. And if that's not okay, I have to go and fix that because it will impact my client work and it will catch up at some point. And when it catches up, it's devastating. You don't have to really apologize to anyone. And I'm still going through the healing process right now myself. I've made some commitments. Like I said, I'm just coming off taking some significant time off. And, you know, I'm saying it now and I hope it sticks true because it's important, but I made some recommitments to myself. So make some commitments to yourself. I've made some commitments and I've said, hey, Mike, you've gone through these bouts. You've learned, right? I've gone through these chapters of depression. I have learned some of the things that caused that work on those things and commit to them, especially when it comes to us and our profession and the hours that we work in the things that we accept you have to make that commitment to yourself and say hey i'm gonna put myself first here or i'm gonna sign off at this time and and really do it and actually i'm daring myself right now to do it and see if anything actually detrimentally changes which i don't think it will so i'm daring myself to put myself first prioritize what matters and to establish clear boundaries and my thesis is that I could have an abundant, healthy life and still be able to do a great job. That's a wrap, my friends. Reach out and let me know what you think. I appreciate you listening in to this episode of Under Withheld, the podcast by accountants and for accountants, where we talk about our ubiquitous professional and personal struggles. You are not alone.